Welcome back to the Hex Drinkers Podcast. It's episode 11, Double Ones. I'm Julian. I'm joined by Eric. Howdy, y'all. Oak. What's up? And Chev. Hey. And we're a longtime playgroup during the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and yours. And I gotta say, Chev, next week I'm gonna need you to come with a little bit more enthusiasm. You've been hitting me with the very short hey for several weeks now, and it's just not cutting it. I mean, Eric's giving me the full-on howdy, y'all. It's like, you know, we're about to go to a rodeo or something. I was hitting you with the neutral howdy, but I'm neutral about to get howdy? loud this episode. Oh, oh yeah, no, yeah. Like I said, we, we are about to, uh, we're about to go to the rodeo. We're about to ride some bulls because we have a, a brand new format that we're introducing. I want, I want to call it the Hunger Games, almost, um, or the Roast Games or something. But uh, what we decided was, you know... We, uh, a long time ago, we uh, talked about our color identities and what we liked. And we also threw a little shade, talked about what we didn't like. And uh, there's there's a few things in our playgroup that we're not always so hot on. So we wanted to kind of uh, take this opportunity to air some grievances against decks in our playgroup that we're, uh, you know, not the most fond of. But we also wanted to uh, bring, it, bring it back up in a positive way. And um, after airing our grievances and having a nice little sort of a debate, we will uh, kind of help build that deck back up and suggest uh, constructive criticisms and how to either swap cards out that will make the deck more interesting or fun to play against or uh, a way to kind of adjust the strategy that might be more interesting considering a lot of these decks that we're going to talk about I think have been around for quite a while in our playgroup. So uh, like I said, it's the Hunger Games. I volunteered as tribute for our first week and uh, today I will be offering up my Dacon Blackblade deck, which I have had for quite a long time. The boys know it. The boys love it. Not the boys really. have opinions on it. You'll find out. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Yes, the the boys will get to their opinions, but first, I'll uh, I'll just talk quickly about the deck, um, so that our audience has a a rough idea of what we're working with. And I will put um, the original deck list in the show notes as well as maybe an uplate updated deck list depending on how quickly I turn things around so deck on black blade esper commander um basically just is as big as your land count which would be good in colors that ramped better but he's from legends so wizards didn't really know what they were doing um needless to say he looks super cool very badass but uh in esper we've said this multiple times love playing control so basically i said well i like playing control in things like standard and modern stuff i just want to pour all of my favorite things from those formats into a sort of EDH deck. Probably the biggest influence um, for this deck was the Esper Dragons deck that was in uh, Khan's Block Origins Battle for Zendikar-ish standard. Um, if you guys remember that uh, that deck, that was probably my biggest inspiration for this. Kind of the general structure. So it's a control deck, plays lots of removal, um, counterspells, wraths, and then hopes to end the game with, you know, usually a singular large threat after outvaluing and maintaining the board over the course of the game. So I will now, uh, you know, hand my soul over to you benevolent dictators. To the will of the people. It's this mob rule. <laughs> now, when we, when we talked about this deck and, you know, roasting it and whatnot, Eric was always the most uh, eager to provide his, I'm sure, undying love for this Dakon Blackblade uh, Esper Commander to the point where, you know, some of us put notes down. Eric has no notes. He is going completely off the cuff to tell us how much he loves uh, Dakon. So I would say that's that's a pretty good place to start, Eric. I'm surprised 
I'm surprised you like him as much as you do. I mean, you know, someone who more normally focuses in green, like your love for Dakon is known throughout the multiverse. Absolutely. Um, let me just start by saying, you know, a couple things about the deck that I'm sure are going to be brought up a couple times. Dakon Blackblade is an overcosted commander with next to no personal theming uh, in that he costs six and then is like, you got lands? That's my power and toughness. Um, things you might think that this deck does with Dakon Blackblade at the helm. A lot of evasion. A lot of ways to sneak Dakon in for commander damage. Sort of an interesting take on Esper Voltron or something like that. Um, with, you know, control tools to back that up. Wrong. It has eight board wipes. I didn't actually count the number of counter spells before going into this, but a lot. Um, it only has six total creatures, not counting Dak. Uh, it is just control to its core. And so then turning, you might say, okay, well, maybe it's got some common control win cons where it finishes by just locking the other players out and then saying, okay, you can no longer cast spells or, you know, you can no longer effectively play the game. I'm going to grind you out with this value engine or with that piece etc etc nope doesn't do that it also doesn't have any combos it has approach of the second sun that is how the deck wins if you draw it you have done a good job and you have a pretty good shot at winning because you have a lot of counterspell protection if you do not draw it you draw the game out to two hours and ultimately i have a lot of love for this idea of a deck of a hard control deck that just plays very opposite to what we play as a group. We usually play, you know, mid-range aggro to mid-range control, and we're, we're pretty well in that pocket. This bursts all the way out the far right end and is just like, no, I don't need creatures. You don't get any, I don't get any, no one cares. Um, and I just, I would love to see this deck actually do something as opposed to, uh, we actually played a couple games with it during our game night last week, and in the first game, Julian drew approach of the second sun, and he won because he had a bunch of counter spells to protect it and keep it on the stack and just keep things going. Uh, the second game, he did not draw approach of the second sun, and honestly, it was tough to tell that he was in the game, um, other than when permanence would mysteriously disappear. I overall, I like the idea of the deck. I like what it wants to be. I don't like what it is. One final point before I wrap up here. Um, it has one tutor. So if you're like, oh, it'll just tutor out Approach of the Second Sun. No, it won't. There's one. <laughs> and it usually goes to finding a counter spell as opposed to finding Approach. Now I'm done. Eric, if this was brought to you in uh, Shark Tank, would this be something you'd be willing to invest in? You know what? I actually would invest in it on the condition that I owned like half of it and they fired the CEO. <laughs> oh, so me? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> you might have to go. God damn it. <laughs> um, Oak, I heard that you initially had a pretty spicy notes document prepared for this. Do you want to share with us maybe the the trimmed down version? So yeah, I had to um I had to redact some of my things because I was getting a little salty in my thing. Chev, I think, saw the first draft and he saw it vanish right before his eyes because I determined that it was a little too spicy. Anyways. Eric, I think you hit the nail on the head. The one point I really wanted to drive home 
is that there are more board wipes than creatures in this deck, and that includes <laughs> the commander itself. <laughs> which is just unbelievable, really. Like, just insane. Um, it takes effort. <laughs> yes, this this is the definition of a dirtily deck. Like, this is like, we're playing one game tonight, boys, kind of deck. However, Eric, one thing I do think you neglected to mention is another... Uh, you know, great win con in this deck, which is, well, it's a win con in the sense that you'll take one player out, and that's Magister Sphinx. So, with Magister Sphinx, you set a player's life to 10, and you think, like, okay, maybe he's running some, like, flicker effects to, like, hit a couple other people. It's No, it's just one person is just out of the game. That's it. So, But with your six creatures, you can't even maybe kill that one person. Like, you set them to 10, and then you're like, Get him. And someone else does the killing for you. This is true. Well, I, I mean, as much, you know, you might think that a 10-turn clock is a long time with Julian hitting you with his Archaeomancer over and over again after he set your life to 10. But this is the type of game where something will happen, or this is the type of deck where in games something will happen and you'll say, like, I have a vision of 20 turns in the future... Julian will have 20 cards in his hand. There will be 20 lands on the battlefield. One player will be gone. And it comes true every single time, whether he wins or not. I mentioned the turns, but part of the reason this games with this deck take so long is because there's so much to do at instant speed that the turns and the turn cycles tend to take... 10 plus minutes a piece, which is, it can just be a little bit, I, I think part of the strategy here is to, um, make your opponents, like, fall asleep a little bit as they're playing, and then, and thus, like, misplay, and so, like, on top of this, like, you might think, oh, okay, it's got Dakon at the helm, maybe it's got some, like, cool flavor cards in it, but, like, it's running Ugin, it's running Worm Coil Engine, it's running Ristic Study. This is sort of like a lot of prototypical, like, if you go on EDH Rec, the salt value for a lot of the cards in this deck is going to be way up there, if for anyone knows what I'm talking about. You know, it's got Cyclonic Rift, so we're not seeing a whole lot of new stuff here. So, um, I, I know I'm not a Control Mage, and, but... This is, this I think goes just like a step beyond what I would consider just like humane to play against. <laughs> this, this could be, this deck can be cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, I, I, and I'll, I'll just end it there for now. Allow me to add Chev's question on of, you know, Julian's coming into you on Shark Tank. He brings in the deck, lets you look through the list and he says, what's it going to take for you, you to invest? Um, you just throw him out of the boardroom. You're just like, leave. I don't even want to talk. I don't even. No, I wouldn't even throw him out. I'll just walk out myself. Cause like, <laughs> at that point, I'm just done for the day. You know, I just, I, I just like, I cancel my contract with the show. <laughs> All right. Anyways, Chev, I, uh, I think you have some more lighthearted opinions <laughs> about this. So why don't we hear from you next, Julian? This deck is a lot of things. Um, and one of them is, if I ever needed to find removal in the colors of white, black, or blue, I could just look up this deck list as opposed to trying to format a query for Scryfall. 
It's got everything I could ever need in any of my decks, and I think it's running more removal than my Toshiro Umazawa deck that has 26 ways to kill creatures. I, I don't even know how that's possible. I have to respect it a little bit. And I think, you know, if I were piloting this deck, the best thing on my side would be Confusion. No one knows what's going on. They see a deck on play, and no cards played seem to contribute to him in some way. Uh, he, he's kind of like an absentee father that shows up after, <laughs> you know, the deck has done its thing. And then he comes out at the end like, haha, see what my, my son did. And, you know, it's very much not related to him at all. And, you know, it, it it's it's like you have Dakon where power and toughness equal to lands you control. And the other main deck we see from you is Tatiova, Benthic Druid, which is another lands commander. And sometimes I like to think that in your deck box, you've got these two decks and tatiova you know we we're all familiar with it on this this podcast it's what you'd expect from a simic value engine of playing as many lands as possible and winning with like sylvan awakening um or anything else that you generate from the massive card advantage of tatiova so she's there you know she's making money she's going crazy and you've got her old uncle dakon in the back of the deck drinking a budweiser saying like you know back in my day a uh, lands commander only had to have power and toughness equal to lands to be good and she's like, yeah, whatever, shut up. And, you know, compared to those two things, like, you, you see Tatiova come out and wreck face. And then you see Dakon come out and you're like, ah, it's Crazy Uncle's turn. And, you know, he still makes you work for it. But it's it's definitely a very different experience in terms of, of lands. The deck is, you know, so generic in terms of what it does that when, when we were putting this thing together and you suggested Dakon as a, a potential target for us to share our opinions on, I had no memory of it whatsoever. I knew you had Dakon as a deck. I knew Dakon existed in um, the the pantheon of Julian Town, but like I couldn't remember a thing about it. And if you don't play this for two weeks, I still won't remember a thing about it unless I listen to this podcast. And even then, it'll be kind of touch and go. And I really have to ask, you know, what's what's the plan here? Is it make the board so sparse of life that even a vanilla six CMC commander can come in and poke you to death? I think some of that was gone into by Oak and Eric, but, you know, it, it seems like the rest of the deck is uh, making up for the fact that Dakon is so vanilla in the first place. You have to take out every single threat and then some. I'm surprised I don't see a sadistic sacrament in here as well, just to make absolutely sure that nothing can hurt your baby Dak. I, I think if I were to, to kind of define this deck uh, it, as kind of like a tag, it would be just make opponents sad. I, I don't know if, you know, it, it could be considered combo or control, but it just makes people sad. Uh, besides besides maybe you. Uh, and, and, and the final point I have to add, and this is unfortunately direct to Dakon himself. What the fuck is that flavor text? It, it kind of makes sense. You're mentioning planes, and I'm like, I'm on board for a good time. He's going to mention planes, islands, and swamps. Oh boy. Like, you know, he gets his power from the land. And then he just says mountains. Like, this man ain't Boros. Like, where, where's this other stuff coming from? And so, gotta give it a flavor fail, too. I think this may be more of a fail on Wizard's part, but the existence of Blackblade Reforged, the equipment, implies that Dakon, without the Blackblade, has power and toughness 0-0. Zero, zero. <laughs> because... He's just some guy. Yes. Um, despite looking pretty cool in this art, um, he mm -hmm. is, without the blade, perhaps not even able to exist on the battlefield. 
I don't think that's a flavor fail. I think that's probably on purpose. And if we as a playgroup wanted to rule zero, that Dakon himself is a zero-zero, unless he's equipped to the blade, I'd be willing to accept that by majority vote. I think so too. I would also take that. And to be clear, earlier when I said I would invest as long as I get 50% control and we fire the CEO, I wasn't actually talking about Julian. I was talking about Dak. <laughs> <laughs> He's, I, I stand by my comparison to him being the grumpy uncle who's like sitting in a rocking chair with a beer and just telling you how it was in his days. But, it's uh, like a room temperature Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> He's got his like, you know, chewing tobacco tin nearby and he keeps spitting into it and Tatiova's like, ah, dude, that's gross. All right. I think we've probably gone far enough unless anyone has any final comments. I think, I think it's time to hear Julian explain himself. Yep. I'm ready for it. Unleash the beast. Um, I appreciate <laughs> your criticisms. Uh, I guess I should at least try and be civil here, um, considering none of you guys were. I think I think the biggest thing, and I'll, I'll try and address points directly as I can, but it's hard to keep them all together. Hence, why I was hoping that we would go person by person. But Chev insisted that I didn't get to talk until the end because he's an ignorant. No. F- Gotta get roasted. <laughs> well, it's just, it's nicer for me to provide banter in between is what I think. That's um, fair. I, I think you guys are really missing some of the point of this deck, which is it's just supposed to be a control deck. So uh, uh, it was brought up that there's no synergies with deck. There's not anything flavorful or there's no uh, new cards or whatever. It's quote unquote, just staples. This is on purpose. This is a pile of my favorite cards that I want to play I like playing control, and therefore I am playing all of the best control cards in the Esper Colors in this format, which encompasses basically all of Magic, right? So that's pretty much what that is. In terms of Dakon, the reason I picked him, I only just picked him because he's badass. I have had various, for, for context for the listeners, I have had various Esper decks throughout the years. The one before this originally was Shroom the Hegemon, which was an artifact-based uh, combo deck actually it was a uh, control ish and then went one with artifact combos and um i had been playing that for a bit and i wanted to change things up and i figured well i don't want to go the artifact route anymore and i also didn't want to do a combo deck anymore uh just because i had done the thing so i thought let's just make it traditional control i love esper but uh, i'm gonna be real a lot of the esper commanders are either not fun or they're very um specific standardized yeah. I guess. Not not boring, not boring, but like if you're playing send triplets, we know what you're doing. Uh, you know, if you're playing Aloro, Ageless Aesthetic, or Zer the Enchanter, we know what you're doing. And I'm like, I, I don't want to conform to that. I just want to play all my favorite cards. And I saw Dak, and <laughs> I think I saw him in our uh, LGS Comic Depot. Rest in peace. Recently went out of business. Love that place. Um, got us into Magic. Uh, but I saw him in like the the Legends binder or whatever for like <laughs> seventy five cents, and I was like. Yes, this white-bordered man right here, he, he is what I need in my life. I found my soulmate. So I grabbed him up, and I was like, well, let me let me get some blue cards and some white cards and some black cards and put them together. And then in terms of deck also is nice because he, he is kind of a scalable threat. So when I do want to play my commander, either that's if I need a blocker because I already have 14 Maelstrom damage and I need to uh, stem that tide of bleeding, or um, because I have managed to wipe the board and I can play Dak, and he's like a 9-9, and because the game has gone long enough, people are whittled down where, you know, maybe in one or two hits, I can, like, come in and 
you know, sneak take someone out. That is the purpose of, of Dakon and the deck in general. A couple more points. I, I do what I can. I, I don't try to make the game unfun for you guys, but it is a control deck. That is the point. So killing your stuff is the purpose. I like to think that my killing is um, that it, I'm an equal opportunity offender, I guess. You know what I mean? And I like to think that I also kind of play the role <laughs> of um, uh, a law and order at the table because we, we have stated many times that, you know, commander is, is the format of big flashy things. And you guys all like to do your big flashy things. And, uh, sometimes you do those big flashy things at the expense of not curbing other people's big flashy things. So I'm like, Hey, don't worry about it. I'm not going to be doing any big flashy things. So you guys can all have one and a third big flashy things. And I'll just take care of making sure that no one, you know, wins out of nowhere. Um, you know, whether that's counter spells and removal or wrath or whatever. I think the last thing I wanted to say was, on the point of, um, in terms of having a game plan and winning, um, once again, as a control deck, if you're playing in standard, a lot of times those will really only have a few cards that they win with, right? It's The idea is that eventually you just remove everything your opponent does, they're basically top decking, but you still have a full grip, and then you can just close the game out by protecting your singular threat. Um, I think I might, like you said, I might have tried to go a little bit too light in terms of just, oh, well why would I play another, you know, creature when I get to put, put Vindicate in as well? And I'm like, oh, I forgot to put Utter End in, so I guess I have to cut another creature. I think you guys are right that I've gone a little bit too far, and that's part of why I do want to remake this deck is because I have always been a proponent of sometimes you just got to close the game, and having a few more ways to do that or a few more efficient ways to do that uh, would definitely be in my favor other than just Approach of the Second Sun, which I have to say, Approach of the Second Sun, though it's you know, it's it's a you-win-the-game card, so it, that can feel sort of cheap sometimes. You know, it goes in seventh from the top. And when I won the other day, you guys had, like, five turns to find a counterspell or deal with it in some way. So I don't feel so bad about winning like that because it's not like it's not telegraphed, you know what I mean? But anyway, that's my general rebuttal. I think your points, albeit a little hurtful, uh, were reasonable at best, <laughs> at least without a dissertation from me. You know, that's that's very true. In, in Julian's defense, he played... Uh, approach of the second son and then with no draw generation it took him seven turns to draw it again and really we are at fault for that loss he did wipe our board a couple times in there so it was <laughs> a little difficult to kill him but no overall i i completely see where you're coming from and as much as sort of the first half of this was you know kind of a roast of you overall i i do appreciate what this deck is trying to do and understand the idea of it being a control deck hopefully moving on to the constructive criticism part of this i just think the idea of you know four cards and 60 being win threats doesn't scale well to a hundred singleton and and sort of taking that idea and sort of just clicking the bottom corner and dragging it out up to the size of commander deck doesn't have good logistics in the long run especially because when you take that idea from standard and scale it up to commander, your opponents are scaling up much more powerful ideas. So if someone takes a combo deck and scales it up, it gets so much stronger when you take it to commander. With better tutors, better enablers, better engines, it just gets nothing but better. You get better control tools, but in the end you're looking for those same two or three win cons, and I think they just don't quite get there for consistency's sake which i think you recognized and i i think that's that's sort of the one thing i have to leave this on is if you like take this deck and cut four cards and add four cards that help you win i'll be like that's a great deck well eric i 
I appreciate that. And yeah, I think we, it would be cool if we could move into the, the makeover, if you will, you know, do, do a little, do a little HGTV action up in this bitch. Um, and I, I want to actually bring it back to you because I'm interested to hear what you have to say, because when you were first talking, you were saying that you almost sort of bought into this idea of a very hard control deck. And we've said multiple times, you are kind of the CEDH guy. So I'm, I want to hear your take. If, do you think that I should turn this tune it more and maybe include a combo or two as a win just to make it so that this deck can close the game can, as you've said multiple times on the pod and also just in other conversations to actually this deck can quote unquote actually do things, AKA actually win as opposed to just, you know, like Oak said, waiting until people get a little bit too tired or something. Allow me to offer with no hesitation, the response of absolutely. Uh, I think that, Tossing, you know, Solemnity, Decree of Silence, Dead Eye Nav, just really broken stuff in this deck as a finisher would make it so much better. And as much as Oak doesn't enjoy it when we play combos against him, I'm not going to speak for him, but I'll let him say whether or not he would prefer getting comboed and the game ending or playing for another hour. (laughs) (laughs) See... It's interesting you say that, Eric, because one of the points that Julian touched on in the rebuttal, and I thought of this beforehand, I'm I'm glad he brought it up, is that oftentimes he does play as, like, the mediator for these, like, busted, you know, infinite combos that um, can just kind of win the game on the spot. And it's nice to just, like, not see... For me personally, it's it's nice to not see stuff like that happen. Now, like you say, I don't want the game to drag on for hours upon hours, and I think we're both, we both agree on that, but we might disagree on how that can be accomplished. For example, um, I would love to see more big, unique beaters in this deck. And I see you have a couple in the sideboard you have here. I think Grave Titan, for example, is a great example of that. Grave Titan and Sun Titan would be like sort of generic examples of just great um, add-on cards that give you recurring value which I think is something that a control deck, you know, really needs. Other examples, I'd say, like, Nezahal is one of my all-time favorites. Um, It's sort of like a Rhystic Study, or more like a Mystic Remora, where it draws you cards. It's got a good evasion effect, where you can exile a couple cards from your hand, have it leave the battlefield and come back. That could be nice to dodge a board wipe or some removal. Um, Or something like, maybe even... If we want to go, like, super unique, um, Parhelion 2, which can be, uh, you know, is a giant uh, artifact that makes angels whenever it attacks. Yep. Um, I'm going there. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a fun card. And, that's a unique card. Yeah. It, it's cool and it's unique. And, you know, I think, I know you you wanted this deck to be, like, a lot of cards that are just good and cards you love. And I've been there, man. I've been there. Um, but, like... The cards you love all crammed together just don't always make for a satisfying play experience for everyone. Um, and so, like, I'd, I'd love to help you tune up this deck to be something better. And, um, you know, you could add, like, a Dream Trawler, uh, Azor, but, like, please no, like, Yoseis <laughs> or, like, uh, Consecrated Sphinx, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. It's just like, I, w- I want to see some more uniqueness. Like, what's the cool stuff that Julian's got in his back pocket? Like, those cool finds he's seen on, um, you know, just clicking random on Gatherer uh, every once in a while. I want I want to see that. 
I want to see that side I, of the stick. I do love me a Dream Trawler. I can tell you that much. I was actually going to suggest Dream Trawlers and add that card in this deck would be very good, I think. I, I think what Oakley's jumping on, and I think is something that we can really kind of drive home, is... And something I, I brought up earlier is, like, you, you have this entire deck that is built to protect something. Like, you have so many board wipes, you have so many counters, you have so much removal, that you could really, like, kind of add a few more cards that is not necessarily great, not necessarily the best of their kind, but something that really means something to you. And, like, yeah, yeah this plays all of your favorite control cards, but you could easily, like Oak said, throw in a Parhelion 2, or just some massive card that isn't, you know, feasible in any other space unless you have 30 ways to protect it in a single deck. And, like, you know, use this as a place to kind of have a couple slots where maybe they change every set. Maybe they change once every 10 years. But you, you have the space and you have, like, this playground that allows you to do something big, no matter what it is, that you could utilize that a lot more um, efficiently in a way that is exciting in other areas. Uh, I, I don't have examples of giant cards or effects off the top of my head, but if there's something that, like, isn't necessarily great, but it is an effect that you think, you know, in a, a uh, perfect world could um, win, well, this is as perfect as you're going to get in terms of raw protection and ability to do whatever the hell you want, turn 15 and on. Um, yeah, I actually... It's an idea that comes up in a lot of kinds of games, whether it's um, in you know other card games with Protect the Castle in Yu-Gi-Oh! or in uh, you know, MOBAs in League of Legends with Protect the Kog'Maw, where you just have this one card that would... or one thing or item or character or something that would really just not be viable by itself, and you put it in this shell where you just say, everything is here to protect the beautiful baby boy who in 20 minutes is going to kill everyone here. <laughs> and I really like that idea for this deck as another way of taking it that would probably satisfy more people than just Julian and I, where, you know, we could make a hard combo deck or a hard lock deck where it's just Tutor for Solemnity, Tutor for Decree of Silence, lay him down, no one else is allowed to play Magic, Julian establishes that he can win, now the game is over. Which isn't, like, that fun, especially if he has a lot of counterspell protection. It'd be much more interesting to see him drop... I, again, I don't also really know any of these off the top of my head. I'm thinking of, like, maybe the Liliana Planeswalker that makes just an exponentially mm -hmm. increasing number of zombies. Yeah. Uh, Throw a couple super friends in here. Yeah. Some of those, like, long-term scaling engines and sort of just say, okay, these are going to sit here. No one is allowed to touch them. If you try, I will counter your spells, I will kill your creatures, and I will make sure you have a bad time. And in 20 minutes... You're going to have a bad time no matter what, because these things are going to kill everyone here. And What's so, that uh, zombie enchantment that just makes double the zombies every turn? That, that <laughs> Just was... have that going? That's the only win con. You just make insane amounts of zombies, and the enchantment cannot be touched. I, I, I don't like the idea that it's the only win con. I want, like, three or four of these things <laughs> in here. So it's whatever Julian finds first, slap that down, protect the castle around that. If it gets removed or exiled, he still has a win in the deck, and it's just waiting for the next threat to come up. But I, I like the idea of these long-scaling threats to match the long game plan. Speaking of long-scaling threats, I think a great example of an addition would be maybe some sagas. Mm. We were just mm -hmm. talking those up in um, you know some of our recent podcasts. They just added a ton in Kaldheim, but if you go even farther back, I mean, like, Elspeth Conquers Death, boom. Great removal spell. 
Um, it's got a tax effect for a second, and then the third one recurs a creature. Awesome. Same thing with Eldest Reborn. Uh, each player sacrifices a creature, each player discards a card, return a creature to the battlefield. It's, you know, boom, 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 it's great. It, that's the kind of stuff I want to see. Julian, we've sort of shouted you down for a little bit here. Uh, what are your thoughts on these suggestions? I do like, I actually, I do like, I like the Sagas idea. Enchantments are my favorite card type, so um, doing doing that would I'm definitely be something I'm interested in. I'm hesitant to uh, move too, too much towards sorcery speed. You know how a source, you know, instant speed is, is sort of my, my baby. I kind of own that zone. But, um, I mean, you know, it, it definitely is something that could um, mix things up. I guess, I guess I think the next thing I, I'd like to go to is, well, a couple of things. Um, one, mostly directed at Eric, do you think that I should, th- this has always kind of been my money deck. Um, do you think that I should try and trim the fat and include, you, you said that I only have one tutor in there. I think I actually, I think I have two. I think I have enlightened and mystical. Um, I did but miss you enlightened think I tutor. Should... Because it doesn't go get your win condition, so I didn't count it. But yes, you do have two. Okay, yeah, fair, fair enough. But do you think that I should trim the fat? You know, I have been looking for a reason to splurge for a demonic tutor, maybe a vampiric tutor, maybe some other. Do Do you think that I should maybe have four or five tutors in this list just so that I can find the things that I need, whether that's to stop a game-winning combo or to establish my own? Or do you think that um, going... To another thing that I want to discuss with everybody as a whole, um, do you think that this deck has enough of the basics, i.e. card draw, ramp, whatever, or do you think that I am missing in some fundamental areas? Um, so I would say that my answer, at least to both of those questions, sort of depends on what game plan you end up going with. Uh, if you if you sort of decide to go for like a more combo, sort of aggressive, or not aggressive because that's the wrong word, this is obviously a control deck, Um sort of a more laser-focused endpoint of, you know, we're going to broadly extend into control and then funnel all the way back into this sort of final spear of how we're going to end the game. Uh, in that case, I think tutors are going to be a really, really important part of the deck. Um, if you sort of go with the Protect the Castle, where, you you know, you've got maybe these three or four just game-ending scalers that you put in there, I think tutors are a little less important, and maybe you only need to add two more. Uh, but overall, I... I do think two tutors is just a little low for a deck. Um, especially when, you know, there's great tutors out there. Like, even just muddle the mixture. It's just so good to be like, I'm going to transmute this into any two-cost card. Or, uh, I think it is Spellseeker is the, the wizard who goes and tutors an instant or sorcery that costs two or less or something. Uh, uh, that's yes. another just really good tutor that you can just sort of jam in there and you know what it's a free blocker think of it like a soccer or tribe elder except instead of getting you a basic land tapped it tutors you a card that can win the game <laughs> or save your life in the case of a cyclonic rift yeah i just added a muddle the mixture to uh Oakown and zinder split definitely like one of the ones i was missing out on for a while um a cool card i've brought up i think before because it's pauper legal and you also played in your flash deck that chev so graciously made <laughs> is uh, Mystical Teachings, mm-hmm. you know, uh, find an instant, and then you can flash it back and find another instant. Um, uh, mystical I think teachings that circles back to my point. Also finds Torrential Gearhulk, which I'm a big fan of. That's true, it finds that it does. Flash. That it does. You wouldn't think it does, yep. but it do. Yep. So, I would say, um, if you are going to do that, you know, go down the more, like, tutors route to, f- I guess, have, like, a maybe toolboxy deck, then... 
Uh, focus on the unique if you can. It doesn't have to be like a demonic tutor in mm -hmm. Vampiric. Because with those cards, you can sort of fall into the trap of becoming like a um, Yisan deck. Where each game kind of plays out the same because you're just tutoring out the same pieces every single time. So, I would, um, yeah, I would be cautious going down that route. But um, you can definitely, you can definitely tune it for that. I don't know if other people have an issue with this or sort of how others feel about this, but for me, I know the, I understand the idea completely of having like a money deck where, you know, this is your, this is your best deck. You want this deck to perform the best. You want this deck to be the strongest. This is where you're going to invest a lot of your fun money for magic and making that deck powerful is something I totally understand. So if we're like, oh, here's some cool ways you could power this down and that's not what you want, feel free to just say that. Like, I don't want to make this deck like anything less than a seven or anything less than an eight like you want this deck to really be a powerhouse and we can give feedback that'll lean you in that direction or if you don't really care i like oak's feedback a lot in terms of like you know let's get some card diversity like let's see new cards in our meta because that's that's always a really fun thing yeah i appreciate that um clarification i guess i mean i don't think anyone's suggested anything that i'm like that's a card i would never put in here no one said anything no any no one's proposed any quote-unquote bad cards but i guess just as a blanket statement i do want this to be a good deck like i said i want this you know this is all of my favorite cards and they're all good good cards quote-unquote good cards mm -hmm. you know, whatever um but i mean i do appreciate the different and interesting cards um like mystical teachings uh one because it's just more avenues like mystical obviously is like if it happens to go in my graveyard from a drawn discard i can still use it or i get to use it twice as well as, obviously, it costs like a dollar and Demonic Tutor, you know, even yeah. though I said this is my money deck, I don't <laughs> want to be like, all right, well, I'm going to change 15 cards out and they all cost $20. Because Here's that, all of my know, magic money from six months and I got a Vampiric Tutor. There's my uh, there's my Corona Stimulus yeah. immediately gone. <laughs> <laughs> and the wind just vanishes. You know, something that I think could be super interesting, unfortunately, a lot of the improvements I thought about were like, hey, this is a DAC deck. How can we make this deck about DAC? But clearly, that's not what this deck is about. So something that I've been thinking about recently is I wonder how uh, Dream Devourer would, would play out in something like this. That new guy from Call Time that gives all instants and sorceries foretell? Or does it give every card foretell? I think um, it's everything. What, what Everything. Well, yeah. e either way, you have 32 instants and sorceries in this deck, and being able to kind of lay away half of a hand if it gets too large from not doing anything for a while, and putting them in a space where you can just play them later whenever you want uh, for two mana less is something that I think could be super good. Like, imagine um, if every of your eight board wipes was a Doomscar, where you could foretell it for two, and then play it for two less you know, seven turns from now and have enough mana for a couple counter spells in the meantime. And yes, it is a on a creature body, uh, but I think that's a, a really interesting effect that you could play around with in this deck to a, a very successful uh, degree. I'm glad you brought that up, Chev, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to influence you guys when you were writing the notes and we were, um, you know, really kind of letting this episode um, stew, but one of the things that I was thinking as like almost maybe a mini sub theme was foretell just because mm, I love that mechanic mm -hmm. so much. We talked about it um, a couple episodes now yeah. um, ago, but yeah. And I'm definitely adding the foretell wrath counterspell and yep. uh, scratchy draw to. So I think uh, dream of hour is actually really great because you know, it's just more things for cheaper. 
for a sub theme for this deck since it really is just removal dot deck um for the most part it having something like foretell really gives it a character which i will admit i'll, I'll be the first one to say that all of my decks are very too strictly to a theme to the point where hapatra minus one minus one counters can really only grow in a meaningful sense when minus one minus one counters are a set mechanic eldrazi speak for itself coin flip i mean like everything is so incredibly tied that seeing something so incredibly untied totally throws me off for a minute of like you know what what what's the connection here like what is this doing like where is the the sort of story of what's going on and i'm not saying that you know going <laughs> i would never recommend going as fully as i do because it's really constricting at times and frustrating um but having that sort of like mini game of foretell and being able to benefit on cards that or, or capitalize on cards that really benefit from playing foretell especially with foretell being one of the mechanics for uh Raynar, the new call time commander deck that gives allows all cards to foretell for zero like imagine that with deep dream devourer and you can just like throw out your whole hand make seven one ones with flying and then like that's a pretty solid place to be in and yes you know magical christmas man christmas land etc but having that be a sort of mechanic that you can use the cards like the spirit horse or Doomscar, or all these other ones that benefit from that mechanic as opposed to this, where there, there isn't a lot of synergy between cards besides just general uh, control. I like that. I like that. Uh, I just wanted to really quickly, I know that, like, Dak's super cool, cool guy, cool shield, cool <laughs> I, sword. I was, just about to, I was just about to bring this up. Carry, carry on, yep. carry on. We talked about him. In an episode that I believe never saw the light of the day, that is completely my fault slash OBS's fault, Nevin Jarl should command this deck. Yeah. No, I I am totally with that. I In my notes, I was saying, like, you know, if if Julian could sit down on the front porch with his arm around Dakon, sharing a glass of whiskey, or room temperature Budweiser's that Dakon loves so much, and have a talk about, you know, what he wants to be when he grows up, and why, in fact, he's leading a deck... That includes about 20 ways to kill things. What is he doing there? And, you know, if Dakon is not a theme at all that this deck really cares about, having something like uh, Nevin Jarl that benefits from having creatures leave before it enters, and that's something that this deck is very good at doing, seems like a, a solid place for, for growth if you want to continue this very controlly theme. I'm briefly looking through EDH rec at all the Esper options. There's not many. I, I looked at that prior to this and I was like, shit, there's only like three that care about anything close to what this deck is doing. Chromium is the second best choice, but Nev just takes it by so much in my opinion. I don't know what it is, but I just don't really like Nev. Is it because we lost to Nev in the uh, Commander Legends release draft that we did? You know, if this was like two months ago, yes, I probably still would have been salty, but no. <laughs> I, uh... Yeah. There's a lot going know. on in the card. It's it's very, you know, heavy as opposed to Dakon, which kind of sits back and is like, hey, man, I'll swing for the number of lands you have. But other than that, don't worry about me. You know what the thing is? I think with Nev in particular, I think Nev is such a, a rich and deep card in terms of what he can do that I would feel I would feel like I was doing a disservice to myself and to that card to put him at the deck without really truly building around him. You know what I mean? 
Um, mm-hmm. So when that lost episode eventually does make it to airs in 2022, um, you know, people can see that we talked about uh, blinking strategies and also zombie tribal strategies to maximize the amount of zombies that you're, you know, hitting with and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, it wouldn't feel right if I wasn't doing all that. And I, those just aren't things that I want to do, at least currently. So I, I don't know. I, I, I will look and see. Um, I, I'm, I will tr- attempt There's also to partners. Open. I don't know what partners exist, but there are a few of those. Silas Timna would be the second, would be the best partner in my opinion. Oh, I don't know. So- Sakashima Timna seems pretty strong too. That's, That's true. I just wanted to uh, second the idea of Chromium. That guy totally went over my head before. And I know you had, like, very at very early when we started uh, playing EDH, we all made, you know, Elder Dragon <laughs> decks. Yep, it would be yep. cool to see the return of Chromium. But besides that, I think this guy's got, like, everything you want on, mm-hmm. on a card, Julian. Like, Flash, can't be countered, flying, you know, evasion, and... You know, much like Dream Trawler and Nezahal, he's got a way to sacrifice just a tiny bit of card advantage for... Protection. Protection. Protection, Protection. yes. Yeah, no, that's Thank that's you. that's a really Thank good you. point, especially because, like, you know, considering how few turns Julian does stuff, he'll definitely have a few extra cards in this hand, even if it's, like, lands and stuff that you can just pitch and keep the commander alive. I think that's, that's a really uh, beneficial option. I, I agree. I, I've I've been eyeing Chromium for a while, and I I actually was going to I think put him in this deck at one point, but I just never followed through on picking up a copy. But I, I think I, now that you're saying, I think I think really the thing is, I just need to come up with a very cool deck name that involves Chromium because currently <laughs> the deck's name is Dak Attack, which is just so just that so is nice true. and just flows off the tongue. So once I can get one for Chromium, like, well, I'll, I'll make the switch. I have a couple ideas. But they're all lame, so I'm not going to say any of them because I don't want to put you off the idea. We'll have a vote on the Twitter poll. What should Julian name his Chromium deck? If the audience listen, if the audience speaks, then I have to listen. If you guys speak, I, I don't have to listen. That's yeah. <laughs> I think there's something that I definitely don't explore enough, and it's it it seems to be really what Dakon embodies here, and it's like using these old commanders that don't necessarily pertain to a given theme like there's no theme that really ben they they benefit from or that they enable but they really just exist to give a color identity and allow you to play everything else like i you know you hear a lot about angus mckenzie leading decks and like angus mckenzie is you know not a great card but people use it because it's it's so vanilla that you can kind of structure whatever you want around it and it's technically you know an angus mckenzie deck and especially a lot of these old legends legends um, that are based on like D&D characters of the original magic designers and not really around color identity or power or whatever. And it, it's definitely a way that some people enjoy Commander. I mean, they're wrong, um, but it is a way that a lot of people, you know, approach this format. It's just wild to me um, to think that back in the day, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of bad cards in Legends. Like, there's plenty of like seven mana three fours, but I mean... Mm-hmm. It's just wild to think that Dakon, as presumably a six mana six six that gets bigger with time, would be have been a bomb. Like yeah. this man would end games quickly. Not anymore though. <laughs> as I know, that, it's definitely the opposite of that nowadays. <laughs> if you look at a card printed in a similar set, just based off of the horrific, horrific art, Airtie the Corrupted is a five mana three four that you can tap, sack something. And you get to counter one spell. Like, cards were bad. Like, really bad. 
<laughs> yeah, especially creatures. Creatures used to yeah. really suck. So, you know, sit down, sit down with Dakon, figure out if he wants to really lead this uh, team into battle, or if he Take wants to help you come up shed. with some... <laughs> <laughs> or if he wants to help you come up with some puns for chromium what, what's going to happen is Dak and, I, Dak and I are going to sit down and uh, we're going to have a real tough chat about whether he's going to be able to survive the doomscar and if he can't I'm, I might just have to send him out on the ice flow and let him drift off and you know pass peacefully take the Eric approach of uh, a protected boy in a sweet sweet castle and put him in the 99 <laughs> I, I feel like no matter what happens I do have to include Dak's blade uh, for, for, of course, for memorabilia purposes, but also because, dang, that thing can close games quite quickly. I have attacked with a, uh, a 1414 deck plenty of times. This is true. All right. I think we've, uh, exhausted all our topics. I think this was pretty cathartic for me and for hopefully you guys. Remember that you can find the Hex Drinkers podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else better podcasts are found you can check out our website hexdrinkers.com to see articles videos as well as this podcast both previous and future follow us on twitter and instagram at hexdrinkers to get updates hot takes and talk smack to chev follow us on twitch at hexdrinkers and at the hexdrinkers on youtube to check out our video content lads gents ladies and gentlemen of the jury this is jules for eric oak and chev we are the hexdrinkers and we are signing out Thank you.